You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Kathy. I'm keeping well in yourself. Really well, actually. Really well. Things are going smoothingly with uh, clinic business. Everyone seems to be coming out from uh, behind closed doors, so it's, it's really nice. Sad to see the summer ending, though I have to say. Yes, we haven't had much of one, but... Uh... Yes, I, I would agree. Well, you know, I, I know this is going to be played later um, than the summertime because of our taping schedule or whatever, but I will say this, that uh, I am going to miss sitting outside and we've had really nice weather and everything. So, you know, some silver linings to what we're going through. So um, I hope everyone did enjoy their summer and we move on and hopefully um, better times to come, better times yes. to come. Today's show is being taped, as I just mentioned, but please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC. And please do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca and subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, all of your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. And as I oh, move here, and I've got, uh, as I told you earlier, Alex, my in-studio guest, my little doggy is sitting with me, so that's kind of cute. <laughs> all the perks of being at home. Um, and, you know, the show, as, as, as I said, we, we taped in the summer, so a little bit about the summer, but we're, you know, as, as this is going to be here in, in, in October, fall, right? yeah, moving into the fall season, um, I, I really just wanted to, to make a comment and talk to you about um, just how resilient I find people have been and business have, have been. I mean, these are challenging times and, Precious few have ever gone through something like this. And, you know, we've had, you know, it personally um, in, in our family, we've had weddings postponed or celebrated much differently than um, the bride and groom would have imagined. And, you know, birthday celebrations have been with signs and balloons and drive-bys. You know, my mom's 80th birthday was celebrated, um, you know, standing outside of her house, which was, you know, sad for us. Yes. Yeah. But people have been socializing, you know, they've managed to maintain, you know, Zoom has been a godsend for businesses, for socializing. Platforms like House Party have just really allowed people to stay connected. And, and I just, you know, it's just, I guess this is more of a reflection uh, on my part. Um, I'm just so amazed at how people have really adapted and, and bought into um, 
really trying to keep everybody safe. Now, what, whatever your views are about the whole thing, um, that, that aside. That, that's a thing. Sorry, go ahead, Kat. No, you, fin- you go ahead, Alex. I, I was going to mention that, like you're saying, whatever one's views is, well, one, one's views are, um, there's that respect. Like, yes. for instance, you know, just because I feel comfortable to do something doesn't mean that another person will feel the same way. And like you're saying, there's that, there's that mutual understanding and that polite Canadian attitude, if you want to call it. Exactly. Uh, of just, you know, acknowledging the situation and making the best and connecting the best way we can. And I, I really, you know, reflecting on, um, you know, my husband has owned a business that has transitioned to, to the home office here. And my business has, um, you know, gone online a lot more. But like just outside of that, I was concerned about my kids. Um, I was concerned about what they would do. And they found a new way to communicate with each other. And I think they've really dug down and, and, you know, whether they wanted to or even know they have, they've sort of brushed away what's not so important and focused on what is. And, and I know, you know, at, at this point of taping, um, I've just dropped my daughter off at university and she's quite anxious. Um, but, you know, just even the universities and the schools, what they've had to do to transition to go, I'm just, I am amazed. And, um, you know, this is, you know, my exactly. small way of a pat on the back to all of us here um, in Canada that have just, uh, you know, and all over the world, but, you know, our home is Canada, that have just brilliantly come to the table and done their best, really. It's just, to me, it's, it's, it's such a, a positive take on, on what's going on. I just find it outstanding. So just uh, a little bit of reflection. It was just a little bit of... Um, just looking it, it, back over the summer, I guess. I, I guess because when we're taping, you're coming out of the summer and just sort of reflecting back. But I just I wanted to make space on our show to to give uh, it, you know my opinion. It, it's important to to reflect on this and see how far we've come as 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 a nation. And uh, and it's nothing that uh, you know we should kind of brush brush to the side. If no. anything, we should continue in some respects to um, continue to connect with, with people, you know, hopefully as yeah. things progress and, and we're, we're more out and about um, in the future, we still have this COVID experience to yeah. reflect and, and, and on pull it through and, the and positives and remind us what is important. Like you were mentioning uh, just prior, there's so many, there was so much time during this period where we've been able to grow in, internally and within within our families, connecting on with deeper relationships, right? Making time mm-hmm. for each other. So those aspects of life, those very important um, um, relationships, for example, um, they need to be maintained, and hopefully, um, we're able to continue that. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. You know, we, we want to get through. There's just no question. I want it over. Uh, I'm tired of the mass. I'm tired of what we have to do. Or, but And we all want it over. Nobody wants to live like this. But there have been things that have really come to the surface that I think we should all be very proud of. So, um, as I said, just some a reflection that um, has kind of been brewing in my mind. So I'm glad I have a platform to to say how 
endearing I think um, everyone has been and how how gracious people have been through all this. So yeah, thank you, Kathy, for for sharing because everybody needs that bit of uh, uh, reminding and, and mm-hmm. a bit of encouragement to continue. Yeah, because it can get you down, but you know, it just it's. Uh, I've had no bad experiences, and um, as far as my connections with people, it's just been, as I said, I, I've been astounded at how how brilliantly people have have done their part. So kudos kudos to everybody. So on to today's show, we are going to be talking about um, pelvic floor health and pelvic floor health with relationship to breast cancer as well as October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And our guest today is Carrie Verbanek, and she has been a registered physiotherapist since 1997 when she graduated with distinction from the University of Toronto. Prior to beginning her physiotherapy studies, Carrie completed a Bachelor of Physical and Health Education and a Bachelor of Arts with distinction from Queen's University in 1993. Carrie opened her first clinic, a body in motion rehabilitation in Kitchener in 2001. After 13 years of business ownership, Carrie was invited to open a second location in the medical center at the Boardwalk in Waterloo in 2014. In August of this year, 2020, Carrie opened a body in motion pelvic physiotherapy center in Kitchener. Carrie discovered her passion for pelvic floor physiotherapy in 2013 and has continued to further her education in the areas of sexual pain, incontinence, special topics in women's health, including endometriosis, infertility, and post-hysterectomy treatment, gastrointestinal disorders, and oncology. Carrie enjoys her work with children with pediatric incontinence, her prenatal and postnatal clientele, as well as men and women suffering from pelvic floor pain because of bladder or bowel difficulties, intestinal cystitis, prostatitis, mastitis, and breast inflammatory conditions. Carrie is also honored to be a member of the Pelvic Floor Health Solutions teaching team. When not at work, Carrie cherishes every minute that she spends with her two daughters, Ella and Carly, and her more than supportive husband, John. Carrie loves everything fitness and enjoys a great workout, sleeping when she's able, and spending quality time with her friends and family. It's a very interesting conversation. A lot of things that I didn't know that have come to light. Um, Some of the learning points that we're going to be covering uh, are, what exactly is the pelvic floor? Why should pelvic floor therapy be incorporated into a breast cancer protocol? And what are signs and symptoms of pelvic floor issues? So we will be back to talk to Carrie in a few minutes. Another heartbreak day Feels like you're miles away Don't even need no shade When your sun don't shine Shine Too many passing dreams Roll by like limousines It's hard to keep believing When it pass you by I know your heart been broke again I know your prayers ain't been answered yet I know you're feeling like you got nothing left Well lift your head It ain't over yet, it ain't over yet So move, keep walking So 
finish yet Hold on, hold on, he'll get you through this Hold on, hold on, these are the promises I never will forget, I never will forget So hold on, hold on, the Lord ain't finished yet Hold on, hold on, he'll get you through this Hold on, hold on, these are the promises I never will forget I never will forget I know your heart been broke again I know your prayers ain't been answered yet Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, today's show is being recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. But please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three locations. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. I'm really excited to, to share this information with you. Well, it's it's a selfish show on my part because I think when we talked earlier, um, I have been trying to get someone on the show, honestly, who, who, who um, understands the pelvic floor, what it is and so forth. And when I found you, I thought, aha, there's my fit right then and there. And coincidentally, honestly, honestly, Kara, I've been looking for a few months for the right fit. And coincidentally, I think I'm having my own pelvic floor issue. So I think that's synergy, right? I think that's karma. And it's all come where, where it's supposed to be for us, our meeting. But many, many women do not really grasp what the pelvic floor is. So let's start off there. What is our pelvic floor? Okay, so if we directly go to the pelvic floor, so we just just hone in on the pelvic floor itself, you're looking at a group of muscles that can be found basically if you're, we refer to it as the perineum or the perineal area. So in females, that area would include uh, the urethra, the vagina, and the rectum. In males, the urethra and the rectum. Um, So it's that area that you find in between those sit bones. So when you're sitting on a chair and you can feel those bones kind of on the chair, it's the area that you would find in that area, often referred to as the area down there. Um, So it's a group of muscles that are basically, they function, they have several functions in our body. A lot of um, people don't even know they're there. People are often surprised when I when I discuss the muscles that are found in that area, but many, many functions. So they control our sphincters, um, you know, so they help with our our bowel and bladder activity. Um, They're involved in sexual function. They're a support system. So they support the organs that are found in our pelvis. Um, They're a sump pump. So they pump lymph and blood and fluid to this really important area in our body. Um, So, so, so much 
relies on these muscles. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do, because as mentioned, it's often an area that we don't discuss. People whisper um, about the issues that are associated with pelvic floor. And um, the only way to get people talking is to talk about it ourselves and educate. So what brought you down this path? This is a very specific and specialized area. Yes, it is. So I was uh, an orthopedic physiotherapist for many years. Um, and I actually ha uh, have very close connection with several of the gynecologists in our area. And one in particular who actually delivered my babies and uh, we remained friends moving forward, continued to say to me, Kira, you need to do this. Like, I need you. We need this in this area. And I was like, you know, I just, yeah, I love it, but I don't have time and, and, you know, put it off, put it off. I, I own two clinics and I have two, two girls and just a really busy life. And finally I decided, you know what, I'm going to take the first course and see what I think about it and just kind of see, is this for me? Is it not for me? And honestly, Kathy, I fell in love. So I took the first course and I continued to take four other levels that same year. So I basically went to school, went, you know, did these weekend courses one after another, after another. And I just, as I got deeper and deeper into it, I just became more passionate about it. And I've gone on to um, just continue my education in every area that I can. So it's kind of a joke around our clinic. My, my office administer, uh, administrator will say, yeah, that's great. Take another course and become really good at something. And then I'll have even more trouble getting people in to see you. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but I, I just, I, it was that take that first step. And then it just started rolling and rolling and I could learn more and I could help these people and these people and these people. And it just, it just imploded. So I've actually gone on the, the facility that I took my course at. It's called Pelvic Health Solutions. It's in um, Toronto. I now am a, a teaching assistant with them. So now I'm able to share that education as well. So it's great. It's, it is uh, great. It's um, like I said, it's, it's not an area of specialty. And as, as it goes with many health issues, until you're presented maybe with, with an issue, it's not something that's thought about. And as you know, as we talked, um, we were speaking earlier on, I think in Europe, uh, pelvic floor therapy is almost, um, or, or it is, sort of uh, built into prenatal and postnatal care. And I think this is mainly where we're associating pelvic floor care with, right? Is that, is that right to yeah, say? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. A very important area um, is the, the pre and postpartum care. Um, and yes, in, in Europe, it's uh, pelvic physiotherapy is, is a, it's a gold standard. They, mm -hmm. um, women in, in the European countries receive pelvic physiotherapy pre and postpartum um, paid for by their government. So it's part of their care. And it's such an important part of care because if you are seeking that care right prior to and right after, then you're preventing yourself from coming upon these difficulties later in life, right? Mm -hmm. When perhaps things have gone a little bit too far or, you know, I mean, one of the biggest challenges that I come up against is people saying, um, you know, no one told me about you, like where, how, I, I didn't even know what pelvic physiotherapy was or, you know, why several people will say, why didn't my doctor tell me about you? Mm -hmm. You know, and my, my answer is always not for lack of trying. I talk about this. I mean, it, nonstop, whenever I have the opportunity and someone asks a question, I will just unload with, you know, as much information as I can give. 
Um, but as mentioned, it's an area where it's difficult to, because sometimes I think that perhaps as healthcare providers, we don't ask the right questions. So if somebody um, goes to see their doctor, it, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable saying, you know what, I pee my pants and I need to do something about that. Are there options? So it's things that we just, you know, we kind of let it go. I hear often from my patients, well, I just thought that was normal. You know, I just thought it was normal to, to leak urine. I've had three kids, you know. Um, and my answer back is always, when is leaking urine normal? Just, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll, I'll say to someone, just think about that for a minute. Um, you know, and most people will say, I guess it's not normal. No, it's not normal. And the best part is, is we can fix it. So, um, yeah, so sorry, I went off on a bit of a tangent. There, no, 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 that's fine. Yeah. I think people need to understand this. You know, what's what's common isn't normal all the time. And and it's that's, you're absolutely right. Now, um, as I said, this is partly a selfish show on my part. Um, and as I, I want to tie this in with October and Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and if we think that pelvic floor issues in general are not dug down into deeply enough, when it comes to pelvic floor issue and women who have, and, and, and men, I don't even know, this may, I may, may be ignorant on my part, but um, people who have gone through breast cancer, pelvic floor issues can creep up and they can also, if I'm not mistaken, be a part of recovery. So I want to speak to those two areas because as a breast cancer survivor myself and as someone who was, uh, you know, the last few months training for a half marathon and then stopped dead in my tracks because of what I think is a pelvic floor issue, I would really like to delve into this because this is something that needs to be talked about. You are absolutely correct. And um, I've actually done some um, oncology courses as well to learn more and more about, you know, cancer as a whole and, and what it does to our bodies and what it does to the pelvic floor. But if we speak specifically to breast cancer, um, where in the pelvic floor issues, um, where the pelvic floor issues typically arise is from the treatments. So what ends up happening in um, breast cancer treatments is our body, as a, as a result of the treatment, estrogen levels become lower. And we actually, women can actually experience symptoms that are very similar to menopause. So another topic that, that is not talked about and, mm -hmm. and pelvic floor therapy just, you know, embraces the, the, the struggles with menopause, but just to stay on the breast cancer, um, estrogen is so important for our vaginal health. Uh, for our pelvic health, the whole role of this hormone, I always say, is to keep is to be uh, keep things plump, pliable, and lubricated. And when we go in a, into a treatment that lowers these estrogen levels, we end up with all kinds of things um, that happen in the pelvic area as a result. So we see things like thinning of the vaginal tissue. Many women have vaginal dryness, uh, burning and itching, an increased urge to urinate. Um, we see lots of incontinence, so urinary leakage. Many women will experience recurring urinary tract infections, uh, pelvic pressure, discomfort. A very big area is pain with sexual activity. Um, and then those common menopausal symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, mood changes, joint pain, all the things that would go along with menopause. Um, and then you get the extra 
uh, pelvic issues on top of everything. So, um, yeah, it, and it's difficult because when women are, are suffering from menopause or suffering, I use the word suffering because a lot of women will, that's how they will describe it. Um, we, we use estrogen related medications to help these, to help these in, uh, situations. So we may use an est topical estrogen cream or those types of things. Well, we don't do that with our breast cancer survivors because obviously we don't want to um, introduce hormone positive uh, therapy. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. And so I always say when we look at something like pelvic health and all of those things that I just mentioned to you are all things that we can treat and we can make women far more comfortable. Um, so I do see such an advantage of having pelvic physiotherapy in the world of, of breast cancer. What about the actual, you know, how far within the, the surgery, the treatment, the side effects, the lymphatic issues that women have who have um, lymph nodes removed, does the pelvic floor equate with any of that or two totally separate areas? Well, separate in the way that, um, I mean, I'm a, a firm believer that, you know, we treat the body as a whole. So mm -hmm. as, as a pelvic physio, um, I often see women who have had the surgery, um, you know, lymph nodes, et cetera. We do a lot of work on scar tissue, um, healing the incision sites, uh, lymphatic vessels. We want to get the drainage going. So we want to get hands in there and start to get things moving. Um, something that a lot of women don't think about is the fact that their shoulders may not move the way that they used to mm -hmm. because of scarring. So we want to look at things like, you know, their range of motion, their strength, their functional abilities. What were you doing before? And do you want to get back to that? Um, so those are kind of can also be addressed in more of an orthopedic setting. But I find that when I'm, tr I'm treating women who've gone through breast cancer, the idea of being in, you know, the realm of our pelvic world and really trying to um, create that space of comfort. Um, you know, we, got, we look at things like posture. We look at um, overall physical health. Mm -hmm. So these things, although, although these issues would not be directly tied to the pelvic floor, um, still directly tied to pelvic physiotherapy. So, it's, so you can continue, you can do a continuum, starting uh, with the pelvic floor and moving up to whole body therapy. Or the other way around. You know, you never know where you're going to start. Like, and it depends on how swiftly we see women after these, after the surgeries. So um, I typically will say to my patients, you know, speak with your surgeon, establish your timeline. What are we looking at for healing? You know, those types of things. And then, and then we sort of decide where we go. But when I do an assessment, for example, on, on a woman who is a breast cancer survivor um, and has been through her surgeries and those types of things, I often... I, the way I describe it to women is I say, I treat you a bit like an onion, which is not a great analogy, but <laughs> you sort of start on the outside and we peel away the layers and we try to go layer by layer and, and see, okay, so that would normally start me externally, you know, looking at the scarring, looking at the range of motion in the shoulders, looking at the lymphatic system, um, you know, a, a lot of feeling and, and, and touching and assessing movement and those kinds of things. And then, you know, as we peel through the layers, that would bring us down to the pelvic floor and we would, you know, we would look externally. What does, what is, how is the genitalia presenting? Do we see that thinning? Do we see that, that dryness? Um, and a lot of what we, we find, so when I'm starting an assessment, a huge portion of my assessment is tell me your story. Tell me, take me with you, take me through the start to where we are today. And what have you experienced? 
What has your body experienced? Um, you know, what are you feeling? And then that sort of directs my assessment um, to sort of focus on, you know, hone in on some of the areas that perhaps are bigger problems um, at that point to that particular woman. So it's really hard to, um, like, I never know ahead of time. I always tell my patients, you know, I will likely not treat you like I've treated anyone else because everyone comes in and they are, um, you know, they're an individual. So I always make it a very individualized treatment. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and to be to be perfectly frank, as someone who has gone through uh, all aspects of breast cancer care, uh, pelvic floor issue and and what I am currently experiencing, it hits you from left field. Okay, yeah. so you go through the surgery, you go through the treatments, um, and when I'm working with people, I am working on keeping them ahead of side effects. Uh, all of these things and going through treatment, talking about the issue of estrogen. I do talk about pelvic floor um, therapy. It's not my specialty, but I do refer. Um, and, and in my case, I mean, you know, I am exercising a lot, which is a huge component of what I do personally for prevention. It just for everyone, really? and it, it it is, and it's it's beyond nutrition and beyond all of that. I have those in place, but for me, um, I with the medication I'm on, I I've gained a bit of weight around my midsection. I struggle with that again, a side effect of the medication. Yeah. Um, bone health, I'm looking at um, all of these things, and then boom, I get a pelvic floor issue that came out of nowhere for me. Correct. So if there's one thing that that I hope that this show can do is to give people a broader perspective. And, you know, they may not suffer from pelvic floor issues because of A, A, B, or C, but then all of a sudden D happens and then they're boom, they've got this issue. So what you're doing and, and what I really hope that your message is getting across to everybody is, is that we can help either to prevent or to remedy some of these pelvic floor issues. And some of them are, you know, this is a sensitive topic. It, it really is. When you get into sexual function, when you get into vaginal dryness, it is not something that many people or that some people are comfortable in talking about. But it's, it's so important, isn't it? Well, I think, too, that, that creates the biggest problem um, when I meet people. It's that... Um, as I was mentioning earlier, like ask the right questions. You know, are we asking women about their pelvic health? Are we asking men about their pelvic health? Um, you know, the questions are there, and and yes, it is a sensitive topic. And if we speak, just if we if we step back to the to the cancer side of things or the surgical side of things. So, for example, I treat many men who have had their prostate removed, and they will and and experience significant urinary incontinence, and they will say to me you know, I knew that this could happen, but I didn't realize that the likelihood was so big. And it's that pre-education that um, people, like you said, with, with the breast cancer, you would have, what I would like to see happen if I, if I had a wish for anything is I would like women to be informed prior when the, when the process starts, you know, this may happen and this is what you can do about it. 
So it's just providing that information and it, it is out there. I mean, like I said earlier, Kathy, it's not for lack of trying. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to, um, there are so many people who are amazing pelvic physiotherapists who, who, who chat this to the nth degree. Um, but I still think we're failing as a healthcare, um, you know, community in not asking the proper questions and not um, determining what women and, and men are experiencing. So, and preparing them for it, preparing them that this, this could happen and here's what you can do about it. Um, I love to see a patient pre-surgery. So I work with a lot of um, surgeons who, who perform prostate surgery, uh, prostatectomy, prostatectomy, sorry. And, um, they will send their, their gentlemen to me prior to the surgery. So we can get started. We get a jump start on, okay, this is what we're going to work on. And, you know, even when you first start that, those first few days of healing, let's get going on this. Let's get this started. And obviously the outcome is going to be better. Um, my, my, my prepartum women who come in while they're still pregnant, it allows us the time to prepare the tissue and, you know, kind of get ready for that. What's going to happen when baby is born and um, make it less impactful. So maybe we don't tear, maybe we don't need an episiotomy, you know, and obviously postpartum is going to be much nicer when you don't have a third degree tear that is healing and you're trying to take care of a newborn and, you know, all the things that go with it. So it's that, it's that ability to really educate. And, and that's why, you know, when you contacted me and said, could we do this? I, I just jumped at the opportunity because I thought, another way to just let people know that yes, we are there and we can help and great results. That's, that's my favorite part is that the results are so fantastic. So what we need to do uh, just from this part of our conversation, you, know, you, you look at, you look at cancer patients and, and then you think there's so much on the plate to deal with. And then, and then there's this issue, yes. but if we treated it as all part of the process if, if the speaking of pelvic floor issues within the context of, of some of the side effects is brought into the conversation earlier on, then it's a part of the process, a part of the plan, as opposed to, ah, uh, another thing. Awesome. And, ah, uh, I got to get caught up in this area now. And honestly, I, I feel that the value that I can give to people, a lot of it when I'm working with them is like, Ah, uh, that's sort of, these things are sort of where I'm getting caught. Ah, oh, now this pelvic floor issue. So now, you know, I feel that I, I'm learning about it myself and now I can lump this in to care as well. So I think it's brilliant what you're doing and brilliant the message. And Carrie, we're just going to take a quick break here and uh, then we're going to come back and I want to talk about the actual exam and and symptomology and all that other stuff that we need to to present to people everybody will be back in a moment i'm not about to give up because i heard you say there's gonna be brighter days there's gonna be brighter days i won't stop i'll keep my head up no i'm not here to stay there's gonna be brighter days there's gonna be brighter days i just might bend but i won't break
You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about pelvic floor, pelvic floor issues pelvic floor, all pelvic floor stuff with Carrie Verbanek and really relating this to um, breast cancer awareness, trying to give everyone an understanding of the, of the importance of acknowledging that this can be an area of concern. Now, Carrie, maybe we can back up a little bit here and, and talk about, you know, if someone hasn't prepared or if this has not been a part of their care plan, what are symptoms of pelvic floor issues either creeping into the picture or full-blown issues in, you know, in the broad sweeps of things? Okay, so if we move broadly, there are so many different areas that um, we treat. And so when we're looking at symptoms, I'll kind of speak to those, those areas. So one of the, um, I would say one of the more common areas that that enter my office are people who are experiencing incontinence. So whether it's urinary leakage, um, um, bowel leakage, both, both situations can happen. Um, there can be uh, other bowel issues. So we work with constipation. If you're noticing that there's constipation going on, um, we obviously, you and I discussed pre and post pregnancy and the oncology side of things, um, any type of pelvic pain, so when we are experiencing pain anywhere within that pelvic region, that would be something that we would, we would address. Um, you mentioned sexual pain, uh, very, very common. And this is one that um, people do find very difficult to discuss. But those um, women who are having difficulty with penetrative intercourse, um, there can be sexual pain for um, our male clientele as well. So it might be post-ejaculatory pain. Um, it can be, you know, uh, erectile dysfunction. These things are all driven by pelvic floor muscles and what's happening in the pelvic floor. Uh, we look at gastrointestinal disorders. So people who have IBS, um, we look at um, menopausal, women who are, are going through menopause, women who have prolapse. So this is another one I often hear is this heaviness or this pressure in the pelvic region. Um, what a prolapse is, is when an organ, so it can be the bladder, the bowel, or, or the uterus, as well as um, the urethra, which is the tube where the urine exits the body, um, come down into the vaginal canal 
And um, women will often describe it as feeling heavy or having um, feeling like a tampon is halfway in is a, is a common description. Like it's not mm. quite all the way in, but it's sitting in that canal. Um, that's a, that's a common area that, that comes to us as well. So those are typically, you know, some of the more prominent. I also work in pediatrics. So I work with children who are bedwetting or who are having, again, you know, daytime leakage, uh, bowel, bladder. Um, so it just speaks to the fact that if you have a pelvis, you are a candidate for pelvic floor. Wow. And it can spread up into the abdomen. Can it feel like strain in the abdomen or is this a different area? No, absolutely, because abdominally, um, it would be where your where your pelvic organs are sitting. So we've got that kind of that, pel- I, I always refer to it as the abdopelvic area. So you're kind of, they, they tie into each other. But I mean, when I first meet a patient, I will say, when I'm describing my assessment, I will say, I'm, I'm most concerned with the area from the breasts to the knees and everything in between. It's um, a broad area. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. And, it's, and that's why when I speak of, you know, you may have a pelvic issue, but we may find out that your diaphragm is driving your pelvic issue. So, you know, they're, they, they're not close together, but there could be something going on in that area that's leading to, you know, a, 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 an incontinence, for example. So um, that holistic kind of approach, again, is, you know, mm-hmm. the body is connected and I'll have people who might uh, be walking um not walking properly uh, due to, uh, I don't know, something with their knee and that altered positioning of the pelvis will elicit a pelvic response. So it just, you know, it it speaks to that, uh, the knee bone connects to the hip bone, hip bone connects to the backbone, you know, that old song Mm -hmm. that everything is so interconnected. So, and abdominal pain too, for anyone who's had, you know, someone may have had a gallbladder out, but they've got that surgical scar tissue that's become adhesed. And that's changing the dynamic in that abdopelvic region. Are these things fixable through therapy? Yes. Yes. My answer is yes. Okay, um, good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, another thing is, you know, um, a, a common situation is a woman, a woman might come and say, well, you know, I'm considering um, my, my I'm considering a bladder lift, for example, a surgical intervention. I will always say to my clients, try a conservative method first, right? Like you, um, actually, as far as, as far as incontinence goes, um, pelvic floor physio is considered the first line of defense and that's been researched, studied and promoted. So, you know, if you're having urinary leakage, some people want a quick fix, right? They want to go in to me, I don't know, surgical interventions. If you don't need them, Mm -hmm. don't, I don't think it's a great way. Great. First stop. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, now if someone has something sinister going on or there's cancers or anything like that, obviously that is, that, that's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. But if you have a prolapse, for example, and, and your bladder is sitting a little lower in the vaginal canal, I just feel like it would be more beneficial to try a conservative method first. Um, okay. So let's get into the methods and let's start off with an exam. What is a, a pelvic floor exam? What does that entail? Okay, so basically, um, again, I'll, I'll sort of speak to how I do my exams, but where we're different than, than orthopedic physiotherapy is that we have the ability to work internally. So an exam would involve, if tolerated, and I always say to clients, because some people will call and say, you know, I'm not really sure about this, the internal side of things, it's different. Um, and when I speak internally, we are working vaginally or rectally. 
Um, and because those muscles sit on the inside, we have to have an, a method to arrive at the inside and see what those muscles are really doing. Um, but you know, for example, if a woman comes to me and, and is in, unable to tolerate um, penetrative intercourse, then an internal exam may not happen for you know visits down the way. Um, so it's always based on what the person is presenting with as far as an examination goes. But again, that idea of looking at muscles, tendons, ligaments, bones, um, blood flow, you know, anything and everything that's in that area and determining what is, what, what's, what's not working, what's driving the problem. And I typically don't find one thing. I typically find a few things that need to be modified or tweaked or, or, you know, part of the treatment per se. And, um, and that's kind of how I present it. You know, we go through this hour-long assessment together. Um, and sometimes, to be honest, Kathy, we don't even get to the physical assessment in that first hour. We are talking, you know, questions, and, and the stories are, are often very detailed. Um, I also work with victims of sexual abuse, um, trauma. So a lot of times, we're not even going to touch the body. We're going to work on things like relaxation and, you know, really creating a trust in that area of their body because it's a, it's a place that has been violated. So an assessment is different for everyone and is really kind of dependent on what the complaints are when, when a patient is coming in. Um, but the general idea of pelvic physio, if it, when people say, how is it different? We have the ability to see those muscles and, and palpate those muscles from an internal perspective. And is there um, something that's inserted internally, or is this all um, manipulated by the actual therapist? Yeah, it's all done by the therapist. It is basically a, um, a palpation technique. So we're just using our hands, manual therapy, just like the majority of, of physiotherapy in general. It's a, it's a manual therapy. It's you know restoration of function based on manual therapy. Um, so nothing is inserted other than you know a therapist will use her fingers um, to palpate the area, you know, feel that strength. So we may ask somebody, you know, I will often say to women with, without any cueing, give me what you think is your best Kegel, you know, because we have all heard of the Kegel. Um, and Kegels are not for everyone. So I will have patients come in and say, oh, you know, I've been doing Kegels for a year and they're not working. Um, and Kegels are not necessarily the start point for pelvic therapy, although that tends to be something that is associated with, um, with pelvic floor physio. And it does have a role. It, it, I mean, muscular uh, strengthening has a, plays a very big role in, in treatment throughout the entire body, but it's not just that. There's so many other things involved. So It's funny because I remember when I had one of my kids, uh, the nurse said, don't forget to do your Kegels. And that, that you know, that was the extent of my pelvic floor education. Yes. Um, if, if women or men are interested in just uh, preventative um, pelvic floor issues, are there exercises that you can offer up now that will help people just start this process of pelvic floor health? So that's a, a bit of a slippery slope for me. I often have people say, you know, um, can you just teach me a few exercises? I 
don't often do that. I will usually say that I want to know what is happening before I give an exercise. And the reason for that is if we speak back, if we, if we just step back to the Kegels again, if you are someone who has a tight pelvic floor or we call a hypertonic, hypertonic pelvic floor, so the muscles are really tight and you say, and they sit down and they say, okay, I'm going to Kegel. And 99% of the time, people are not properly trained in the Kegel to begin with. But let's just say for giggles that they're, you know, they're going to do this Kegel exercise. So you're taking a, a very tight pelvic floor and you're tightening it. And if you think about that for a minute, that could potentially make you a lot worse. We don't want to tighten an already tight floor. We want to learn how to relax that floor. But the difficulty is, is that I can't tell you what your pelvic floor is doing without actually assessing you. So I highly recommend people who are having any type of symptoms or might have a concern or um, like I see several patients who will say, uh, you know what, we're getting ready to have a baby and I would just like to come in and just, I just want you to take a peek and let me know how everything is looking. And that's a perfect way for me to say, okay, this is where you are today. Let's let's start this and this and you can work on this and you know, and then if everything is going well and you decide you want to come back for therapy before you, uh, you know, when you're pregnant, absolutely be in touch. But I, I worry, um, I hesitate to give out exercises when I haven't actually looked at what I'm trying to either fix or modify or prevent those types of things. Fair so enough. that was my very long answer to, <laughs> I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so if uh, a woman is preparing for uh, a breast cancer surgery or breast cancer treatment, optimal time to see you ahead of time uh, would, be, would be what? I would say um, you, there wouldn't be too much of a timeline. I think um, you know, getting in within those couple months before, um, a huge part of that would be the education. And that is one of the, one of, I consider that one of my, my, best titles is I'm an educator. So I'm going to take all of these different information, all of this different information. So we're going to talk about that, you know, vaginal dryness and lubricants and moisturizers. And we're going to talk about exercise and we're going to talk about um, pelvic floor physio and vulvar care. And, you know, that fear that someone might have of returning to sexual activity post-surgery. We're going to talk about those things and I'm going to educate her so that she feels empowered. And when one of these things happen, happens to her or, or many, or perhaps hopefully none. Um, but if they do, then she feels like, you know what, I've heard about this. I've been through this conversation with Carrie and I know what to do. I've got some strategies and I'm going to try to put those in play. And then I'm going to get back with her and, you know, post-surgery and we're going to take a look at how things are going. So the biggest part for me, I think when you're preparing for anything is having as much education as you can. I agree. Now, you've mentioned it a couple of times. And I want to get back to this because it's something that I, I didn't ask before the end of the first segment. How can pelvic floor therapy help with vaginal dryness? Or are you just talking about um, this can be a side effect and here are some uh, creams that you can use? Can pelvic floor therapy literally help with estrogen uh, lowering vaginal dryness? 
So yes, absolutely. So what the, the part that you mentioned about the moisturizers and you know, those types of things, absolutely. We want to improve the elasticity and the tissue co- uh, quality after this has happened. But you also, what we also want to remember is that the, the blood and the, and the lymph and the, and the hydration of this area comes from, you know, the, the sump pump function of the pelvic floor. So we want that floor to be working optimally and not be, for example, tight or weak or, you know, those types of things, because it's all, all going to work together as a team. So yes, moisturizers, lubricants, a big part again of the education. Um, but we also want to look at the actual pelvic floor muscles and tendons and ligaments and is everything, you know, working to ensure that we are hydrating that area and, and keeping, you know, blood flowing and lymph flowing and all of those things. So there's a little bit of both, I would say to that. Are there natural lubricants that are safe for women who, uh, because beyond uh, people with, with breast cancer, um, some, some lubricants were, were hormone based. Are yes. there safe lubricants out there that women can feel confident in using um, that will not impact hormonal therapy or, or you know, add on to the worry of returning or of breast cancer? Absolutely. So if we're looking at a lubricant per se, and um, I, I recommend lubricants when, it's, when we're talking sexual activity. So if we're looking from a lubricant perspective, what we want that lubricant to do is, is to create a layer over some really fragile tissue, right? Mm-hmm. So once that tissue has changed and the estrogen has changed, it becomes more fragile. So um, my, I always recommend a water-based lubricant to my patients. Um, and partly because you want that, um, I don't want to introduce anything other than what we would consider, you know, a, more of a natural product. So mm-hmm. the um, typical uh, recommendations that I give is um, there are a few on, on actually available on Amazon. Um, slippery stuff is my favorite. Um, it is it is a, a great lubricant. Um, there's another one called Sliquid, and I like one called Good Clean Love. And um, they are on the natural side of things. So many patients that come to me um, will be using you know over the counter type lubricants that they buy at Shoppers Drug Mart. Those types mm-hmm. of places. I always encourage people to read what the what the ingredients is and i think this speaks to you know food and and every other thing if you can't pronounce it um it's probably it probably should not be going into your vagina um i'm a big fan of the you know i often say to women you have to remember that the vagina is a self-cleaning oven so let's keep product out of there let's Mm -hmm. keep it as natural as it can and then if we flip on that a little bit and we look more at the moisturizer so are we dealing with that thinning that vaginal dryness, um, we definitely want to use something that's non-hormonal and will improve the elasticity and the tissue quality, right? So that's what our goal is there. Um, As well, we want something that's going to increase the water content of the cells that are in the vaginal canal um, and keep that pH down so that we've got that that moisture and and that acidity in there. So um, some of my favorites for this are, there's a product called May by Demiva. Uh, and then that's actually one of my favorites. It's a Canadian based company. Um, it's named after May West. Oh. It's, got a, it's got a funny little, um, little jingle to its advertising where it speaks of, um, you know, uh, yeah, I can't remember her exact words on it, but it's, it's got a funny little jingle to it, which is cute. And then also we can use like your natural oil. So a vitamin E oil an almond oil. Um, I will, um, suggest coconut oil. Coconut oil has a little bit of a, it changes the pH a little bit in the vagina, but still relatively safe. 
um, but really avoiding those petroleum-based products. So no Vaselines, anything like that. You want to use a specific vaginal moisturizer. And people are going to sort of insert this into the vaginal canal, lubricate themselves or moisturize themselves. This, this needs to be talked about, Carrie. It, it really is, a, you know, and I, I take this um, personally because I've been through all these things. And um, I think we do need to start, as with so many things that are going on, conversation is education. And we really, really do need, this is not something that's embarrassing or another, oh my gosh, another thing to think about. You know what, for women and men who have gone through these cancers that affect the pelvic floor, this is now a part of their story. And we just need to make sure that we're writing this ending properly. And I I am so passionate as you are about teaching and preparing and understanding. We always have to take care of our health and we all have different health plans. And for someone who has gone through cancer, for someone who's gone through breast cancer, this is now going to be a part of your plan. And it's not something that you've failed at. It's not something to be embarrassed about. It is what it is. And I'm so happy that you have taken the time to come on the show and opened up my eyes and and I'm sure opened up a lot of people's eyes to such an important issue. It's pervasive pelvic floor health. So I want to thank you so much for joining us, Carrie. Thank you, Kathy. It really was a pleasure. As mentioned, let's educate. Let's work together and let's educate the public. Uh, I agree 100%. Everybody, thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.